It was the turn of the century. The place was northern Africa, and the century that was turning was 395 to 430 B.C. There was a, a man in charge, man in charge of the church there in the city of Hippo, present day country of Algeria in northern Africa, and his name, depending on if you grew up as Protestant or if you grew up as a Catholic, his name was Augustine or Augustine, and he was the bishop there in Hippo. A number of church synods happened during his time there, a number of huge Huge conversations took place that formulated church. He was a great author, and two of his works are known under the titles of these. Confessions, and what we will kind of look at for a moment, The City of God. In that book, The City of God... Augustine takes passages of Scripture similar to what we are looking at today. Passages like and included with Jeremiah chapter 29, Isaiah chapter 26, Matthew chapter 5, among a number of others. And he looks at two contrasting cities. And his argument is this, in every city, there are two cities. There's the city of man. And there is the city of God. And he argues for his people in Hippo that they would strive for, they would live for, they would yearn that Hippo, that city, that they would live it out and it would be the city of God. And may you and may I, may we, yearn that the city that we live in, the city that we work in, the community that we are surrounded by, may it be the city of God. If you have God's word with you this morning, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 29 and let me read for us a passage of scripture that we have been looking at, that we have been exposing in the sermons over the last few weeks. And the verses that we will look at today will be in verse number 4 down through verse 14 in Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah 29, 4 and following read like this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But the key verse is, a verse that we will look at in depthly next week, Lord willing, but seek the welfare of the city. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, 
Do not let your prophets or your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie. They are prophesying to you that they are prophesying to you in my name. I didn't send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will destroy, I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Let's pray. Father, we have, have looked at this passage for a couple of weeks now. Father, I pray that this passage and, and your word, Father, that your word would, would permeate our minds and, and our lives, that it would just soak into who we are. Lord, I, I know that it's a foreign land to some degree. It is a foreign land that this was spoken into to us. But on the other hand, Lord, it is so clear and it is so real and so evident that it is exactly where we live and breathe every single day. May that come across to, to the minds of the men and women in this room. Father, would you speak and would you confront us with the sin Sin that, that we don't even think about because it is so commonplace. We don't even, it doesn't cross our mind. It does not register because we're so used to it. Father, you change hearts. Lord, as we sang just a moment ago, your blood breaks chains. Would you break chains in me and in us in this room even this morning? Father, as we open and talk about the city and the different views of the city, Father, may they stick, may they resonate, and would you give us wisdom, clarity of thought, clarity of how we view life in the city that we live in, and may we come clean to you, first and foremost. And Father, may we repent if we view the city wrong. And Father, I, I pray that it starts with me right, right now, that, that it starts here. I, I'm not just praying for, for others. Lord, I'm praying for me that, God, you would show me where I view this city wrong, where we view the city wrong, and where we might bring you glory. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Three views of the city this morning, coming out of Jeremiah chapter 29. 
three views of the city. The first is this, it's assimilation. The first view of the city is assimilation. It is the view of the world. The view of the world. How the world views the city. The term is assimilation. It's how the Babylonians viewed the world. Every nation that conquers another nation has a plan. Some of those nations, like the Assyrians, they come in and they just put their thumb on you and they would just come and squash you and they would just kind of press you until you were absolutely nothing. That was not what the Babylonians wanted. The Babylonians, sure, they had an army, they had a horde, and and they came and they circled around Jerusalem there in those days and those months to siege the city, to take the city, and there was loss. There was hundreds, thousands lost, but their plan was not to squash the Jews. Their plan was, hey, why don't you go over there and take the brightest and bring them to me? Verses like this, in Daniel chapter 1, the first eight verses read something like this. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and place the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then catch these words. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. So let's stop right there for a second. We'll get to the next verse in just a second. Here's what he did. He said, hey, I want the very best of Judah. You go in and you do whatever you have to do to get the city, to get the people, and then I want you to pick out the best. Think about yourself for a second. I know I tell you not to do that often, but but just think about yourself for a second. Um, Hey, River Bend, are you of the royal family of DeSoto County? Maybe. Are you of the nobility I'm still sitting down if, if I'm supposed to stand up. The water's falling too. You, are you um, youths without blemish? I'm not going to look up anymore. Are, are you of good appearance? Are you skillful in all wisdom? I love this phrase. Are you endowed with knowledge? Are you a, a man or a woman of understanding and learning? Are you competent to stand in the king's palace? Are you able to be taught literature and language of a different culture? Or do you and I have issues with our own? He says, hey, go get the best and bring them to me. The next verse. The king assigned them a daily portion of food and that was at the king, that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. And they were to be educated for three years. They had the opportunity to have the greatest education three years. 
And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. A couple more. Among these that he took were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chiefs of the eunuchs gave them names, so they changed their name. Daniel became Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. All of this was in the master plan of the Babylonians. Why don't we just come and get this whole culture, this whole nation, all of these people, and we will learn them? I know that's terrible grammar. I wouldn't be a part of that group. We'll learn them. We'll educate them enough to where they will be assimilated into our culture. They will be just like us. They will love the things that we love. They will want the things that we want because we will push that so hard, so much. We will make those things shine so bright that that's all they can see and that's all they'll want. What Nebuchadnezzar and the world says is why don't you just come and join us? Why don't you just come? Why don't you just come and taste what Babylon has to offer? If you will just do that, we'll have you. You know, in this view of the world, if we're honest, this view of the world happens to us every single day. It happens on the billboards that you and I pass when we drive up and down the interstate. It happens on the radio when there's an advertisement, even in the midst of the singing of the songs or in the midst of the talk of the show, it is happening. It happens when you turn on the television. It happens in your house when you look at a logo, when you see something that jogs your memory because you heard of it, you saw it, you were a part of it, and you want it even more. Every single moment of every week, it is happening and this view of the world for you Christian is why don't you come and taste what the world has to offer why don't you assimilate yourself why don't you join with us because we have the very best for you and oh sir ma'am if we were honest with ourselves this morning if we were honest, we would say, you know what, there's been moments and there's been times and maybe even now I've bought in with this view of the city. That I have assimilated myself with what this city has to offer. This culture is seeking to engulf you. This culture is seeking to assimilate you and assimilate me into their view of life in the city. My question, have you been assimilated? Is that where you are? Have you said, hey, I, I love this place. I absolutely love this city, this place, this culture. And I am living my life in such a way that every day I seek to assimilate myself in city. 
I pray not. But for some of us, most of us, if not at some moments of the day, moments of the week, moments of our lives, I fear even more that that's exactly where we are. We have bought Nebuchadnezzar's lie. We have taken the easy path. We have willingly placed ourselves in chains and assimilated ourselves into the city. But maybe some of us have not assimilated ourselves. Maybe we find ourselves viewing the city a second way. The second view of the city is not assimilation, but it is isolation. This is the view of the selfish. The view of the selfish. Read there in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 8 and 9. God says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you, do not let them deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I didn't send them, declares the Lord. What were some of the dreams? There was a man, a a prophet by the name of Zedekiah, who was standing up and saying, Hey, just stay outside the city. Make a compound. Just get in a tent and stay there because within two years, God is going to come by earthquake and he is going to shake Babylon and he is going to send you home. Don't go in the city. Don't eat of their lies. Do not participate. Isolate yourself. And he wasn't the only one. You're like, well, that doesn't happen today. Oh, it happens today. There are men and women in our world, in our culture, who prop themselves up, who state that they are the greatest thing since sliced bread, that they are even the anointed one, the second coming of the Messiah, and men and women, boys and girls are drinking the Kool-Aid every single day. But there's another look of isolation. I told you the story um, that I was made aware of. One of my friends was pastoring outside of Mobile, Alabama. And in the church that, that he went into, there was a Sunday school class. And that Sunday school class was for the uh, older men. And in that classroom, there were 10 lazy boy recliners, burgundy. I guess they were all Alabama fans, but, but they were burgundy uh, lazy boy recliners. And they were all in a circle. And every single one of those lazy boy recliners had a name stitched in it. Who do you think was welcome in that classroom? Only the people that had their name stitched on a lazy boy recliner. How does that classroom grow? It doesn't. Unless somebody dies and their name is Jed. Only a select few. No, no, it doesn't. What were they doing? What were they saying? They're saying, hey, it's just for us. Nobody else is invited to this. It's just us. We're not reaching out. We're not asking. We're not inviting. We're not telling the good news. No, it is just us. Uh, River Bend, is that you? Is that me? Have we isolated ourselves? Have we stated in our own minds, hey, just these hundred are good. 
Let's don't reach out into the city anymore. Let's don't grow anymore. I'm not saying that we need to be a mega church. That's up to God. How big, how small, ultimately. But is your mind, is my mind stated and set to say, hey, just us, nobody else? Isolation, are you saying the view of the selfish is what I've stated it as? Are you saying, hey, we're better than you. We don't like anybody but our kind. And here's our kind right here in the room. The prophets who were prophesying against what God had already stated was saying to the children of Israel, to the church, to you, to me, hey, you're better than everybody else. Don't go be like them. Don't have anything to do with them. You just steer clear of the city. Don't get caught in its web. Don't have anything to do with it. You just stay outside the city. Have we blatantly done that? Are we blatantly doing that now? Has it crept in unaware? The view of the city, that of assimilation, is a terrible view for the city because we are just like the world. The view of the city, isolation, is a terrible view of the city because it is a prideful look stating that we are so much better than those that we live around. May you and I not have a view of assimilation. May you and I not have the view of isolation. But may we have this third view, what Augustine argues in the city of God, and that being this, that it is the view of God, that of connection or engagement. The third view of the city is that of connection. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 5 through 7, here's God's view of for your city. Here's God's view for you in the city. Here's God's view for us as a body of believers in the city. And here's what he says, for them in that day and for us in our day. In Jeremiah 29 verse 5, he says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. And I, I don't like the translation of, that the ESV gives right here in verse 7. But here's what it states. But seek the welfare of the city. The word welfare there is shalom. But seek the shalom of of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its shalom you will find your shalom but pray for the but seek for the peace of the city and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its peace you will find your peace in these verses here's what God says of how you and I should view the city. View the city where you and I live. View the city where you and I work. And I know what you're more than likely thinking. Are you talking about the city of Memphis? Because that's the city. Senatobia is a city. Hernando's a city. Eudora's a city. Love's a city. Wherever you live is a city. The people that are around you is a city. Where you work is a city. 
the city is the culture, the climate, the people, the place where we live our lives. And God says to the children of Israel right here in Jeremiah chapter 29, and he says to you and me, hey, I understand this is not your homeland. That there is someplace greater that you are going to spend all eternity. This isn't your home, but here's where I have you for this time period. Here's where I have you for 70 years, where you're going to live your physical life. You're going to be here. So build your house. Get you some food, plant you a garden, get you a wife, get you a husband, have kids, have grandkids, have a great life. Here's the view of the city. Prosper. But if you really want peace, if you really want contentment, if you really, I mean really, want to see fruit, pray for the welfare of the city. Find a view of the city that is not where you are just buying into everything that it has to offer and that you are not just uh, abhorring everything that it brings to the plate. But find that place and look at the city like I look at the city. Engage it. Connect with it. I wrote these words down as I was thinking. What, What does it mean to connect? What does it mean to engage the city Connect with the folks in the city. Engage the city. Know everything about it. Know what goes on in the city. And then I wrote, be a peacemaker in the city. Shalom. It's so much more than what we think of as peace today. We think When we think of peace today between two fighting groups or two fighting cultures or, or, or individuals or, or a war, we think of, of a ceasing or a cessation of war and strife. But shalom was an encouraging word. It was a word that meant that they were going to help. It was an active word to see the betterment of all. Not just their own kind, not just those people that smell or look or taste, do the things that they do. No, of everybody in the city. You and I want to see those like us prosper. But what about those that aren't like us? We want to see them prosper. They're part of the city. And if we're seeking the welfare of the city... We need to seek their welfare as well. God says for you and me in multiple places to engage the city. To engage those like us and to engage those not like us. Let me draw our attention to a passage that we've looked at previously in this series and one that we haven't to try to make this point. In Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2, Paul is writing to a a church, a group of believers And he has made a huge argument, a a huge argument in in chapters 4 through 8 of how their lives ought to be. And then there's like this uh, parenthetical thought in chapters 9 through 11 that he reminds them, hey, uh, let's talk about the Jews for a moment versus everybody else. And then he closes that parenthesis at the end of chapter 11. And in chapter 12, verse 1, he says these words. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, 
I appeal to you by the mercies of God that, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Then he goes on in verse 2, he says, here's God's view of the city for you and me. Don't be conformed to the world. Don't, don't assimilate in the world. Don't do that. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul says this, don't go and assimilate into Hernando culture. Don't don't go assimilate into the, the culture that you and I find ourselves inundated with, but be transformed by stuff that happens on the inside. Spiritually speaking, you, sir, you, ma'am, are different. Because not where you live, not because how you were brought up, but because who's living inside of you. You are different. And Jesus is the difference, and he is the difference maker of how you and I are to view the city. And he says this to you as his followers in Matthew chapter 5. Hey, you, sir, you, ma'am, you are the light of the world. Not the staff, not the upper echelon of Christianity. Nope, you. You, the one that I died for, the one that I shed my blood for. Yes, you, chief among sinners, ma'am. Yes, you, chief among sinners, sir. You are the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill. A what? A city. You are a city. I'm a city. Everybody's a city. You want to make the song up? Everybody get in a circle? No, we are the city set on a hill. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But they put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house in the same way. Sir, ma'am, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The view of the city that you are to have is God's view. The Western culture, don't want to stereotype it, but the American dream, the items that are pushed every moment of every single day that you and I are inundated with, do not buy them. Take the view, not of assimilation. Take the view, not of isolation. You are no better than anybody else. You're not better than the person down the street. You're not better because you may smell different than they smell. You may comb your hair different than they comb their hair. You may wear something that they don't wear. You are not better, Brian. You are not better, Riverbend. Be a part of the city. Seek its welfare. Engage the city. Connect to the city. Be a part of the city in such a way that you seek its welfare. You seek its shalom, 
river bends because in that you will find shalom. You're like, Brian, I don't know what shalom is. I can't even pronounce it. But I know I don't have that in my life. Have you assimilated into the culture? Have you locked all fours and said, I'm not getting any closer to the culture? God says both of those are wrong. Why don't you come and confess it? Why don't you repent? Why don't you look at the city the way he looks at the city? Brian, I can't look at the city that way. Can't or won't. Because if you're his, ask him to give you his eyes. And you'll see the city the way he sees it. Because he wants the city to know about him. And he wants you. And he wants me. To be a light in this city. We're about to have a time of response and a time that we just ask him individually, just ask him. And I want you to ask this question. Father, if if you're his, Father, how do you want me to seek the welfare of this city? How, how do you, not, not how, how do I, how does River Bend want you to seek the welfare? Nope. Father, how do you want to use me to seek the welfare of this city? You're asking him. Then you've got to believe. And then there's that third and that last letter that, man, we don't like sometimes. You got to obey. Heavenly Father, every single day I see a city. God, if I'm honest, you know already, but if I'm honest, there are a number of days and a number of times that I look at a city. And God, I have I have arms locked and say, no closer. Lord, there's other times that I have arms wide open and I, and I just want to assimilate in the city. Father, thank you for reminding me, encouraging me, convicting me that neither one of those is what you are calling me to in this city. Neither one of those is what you are calling River Bend to be in this city. You are calling us, you are calling me to engage the city, Father. And to see it prosper. All in light. All in light, Father, of who you are. God, I pray that in this time that as we stand and as we sing God you would speak and show us God show us how you want us to see the the city prosper how you want us to see its welfare prosper these days how you're going to use us God to encourage men and women boys and girls boys on a 
on a baseball team, girls on a softball or a soccer team, Father, parents that we come in contact with in our classrooms, at the workplace, by the neighbors that we live around. God, all for your name. Thank you for passages like this to draw us back to the mission that you've called us to, Lord. May we we listen and hear this morning. May we see it clearly, black ink on a white page right in front of us. And don't let our eyes get off of it until we obey. Sir, whatever he's asking you to do, I pray that you would just lay everything down and obey. Ma'am, whatever he is saying, however bold it is, however audacious, however illogical it is, I pray, I ask that you would obey. Believe him and obey. As we stand and as we sing, would you respond back to him this morning?